All right, you're back in the DFSR on the Overtime Media Network, broadcasting live from the Vivid Seats Lounge. I'm Doug Norrie, that is. James Davis. And we're on take two of the podcast right here, and I screwed up the opening. Unlucky. In the, in the, totally unlucky. Way to run bad. Run, running good in DFS, running bad in podcast recordings. Mm. But that's all right. Now we know exactly what we're going to say for the <laughs> Cash Game podcast because we got our I'm going to make it seem organic. I, I, everything is going to be right off the top for me. Maybe you're just going to repeat the stuff you've said before, but... I've got totally fresh takes for the audience here. Oh, we're just kick up. That'll keep me on my toes because that, that way I'll just you'll I'll hear all these new stats and all this new other other different stuff. Uh, that makes total sense. Week fourteen is lining up to be an interesting week, and though I you know one thing that I didn't want to talk about here is and we talked we've nodded to it before, but just another week where I'm just like a little confused about ownerships on certain guys. You know, last week we had DJ Moore just seemed like an absolute cash game lock for us. He was 5% on DraftKings. I couldn't believe it when I opened it's that crazy. up and saw um, he was 25% on FanDuel. Again, that just made no sense. Do you think people have a hard time? I think there's a, there's a confluence of factors here. Uh, among other things, I think, you know, certain accounts are driving a lot of the ownership uh, in cash across the industry right now. So I think that's a big piece of it. It's not, and by the way, that's not like a conspiracy theory. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just, I think just is what it is. But, um, do you think also people have a difficulty with the guy like Moore, let's say, about buying all the way up on the price? You know what I mean? Like when you started started from the bottom, now we're here, kind of thing. Like I do you think do you think that's an issue too? Because like you know we were in weeks of fifty nine hundred DJ Moore, and now we're seventy two hundred DJ Moore, and to me that's still fine based on the opportunity. But do you think people have a hard time sort of sometimes wrapping their head around that piece of it, or do you think it's just other factors at play? I think it's a combination of things. I think people get really wrapped up in chasing the chalk and football in particular because you only get this one crack at it per week. Uh, that, I think, raises people's emotional investment in winning this week. It makes them more risk-averse. It makes them more scared when they see it play at 8% or something like that. And I think when they're setting their cash game lineups, they go a little bit far. Like Because we will talk about, oh, which guy is going to be highly more highly owned this week? Sure. We have two plays that we like identically – or maybe we like one a hair more than the other, we will sometimes lean into the chalk a little bit just to lower variance. But even in a short season, the way the NFL has, you could still give up a pretty significant edge by going too far in that direction. You know, So like with Marvin Jones a few weeks ago, even the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones thing that we've talked about several times on the podcast so far, if you go too crazy with trying to chase the chalk, at some point you give up too much equity. And while sometimes being like I think a lot of new DFS players don't even totally understand the point of wanting some overlapping plays with other players you only really want that if the play is really really good right <laughs> because if everyone is going to play a terrible player like who's injured let's say well of course you don't want that same player right so sometimes it can kill you when Christian McCaffrey's 80% owned and he gets 36 points but the week I think the week Matt Ryan and Julio Jones were north of 80% on FanDuel you texted me and said well all that work that we did and the only thing we really needed to do was not play Matt Ryan <laughs> because right. he was terrible and everyone played him. And so you won automatically if you didn't play him. So yeah, it can increase variance, but I, I definitely, at this point, I'm confident enough in our system that I don't feel the need to chase the chalk whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. And I, so I think when I see these guys locked into a hundred percent cash game plays, like I just, I'm not concerned at this point where, and this is, this is not the case for every player, by the way, there are edge decisions that we make on a week to week basis, trying to decide about, and at times we will just use what we think to be, uh, overall ownership projections to maybe break a tie, right? Like that's like, that's, mm -hmm. you know, if we have two guys that we're staring at and 
you know, I think at that point, breaking a tie with who's going to be the higher own guy is actually good practice. Um, but it's not good practice to lock in a guy just because he's going to have overwhelming or you think overwhelming ownership and then you cascade all your issues all the way down the rest of your lineup. I think that is a bad practice. That like, I, And I think that's what you're kind of saying is that people at times are getting themselves into that practice. And it, I think it can just be a mistake. Let's roll through week 14 cash game plays here. Uh, just as a real quick note, I, when you look at the way lineups are beginning to shake out, is it a week that you can sort of sink your teeth into uh, like last week, I thought we were like, okay, we're going to be on McCaffrey and Fournette, and then we'll f- and DJ Moore, and we'll figure out the rest of the pieces here. Do you feel the same sort of confidence around you know a certain percentage of the plays, or do you think that it's kind of a l- little more all over the place than usual? No, I think I feel a pretty large amount of confidence. I think quarterback is pretty set, which we'll get to in a second. I think wide receiver, there's enough value there that it's going to be hard for me to want to go from you know a six thousand dollar play up to an eighty five hundred dollar play. And running back was really the area where I felt the least certain going into this week. But I think once you have the constraints placed upon you of probably a pretty expensive quarterback and some mid-range to cheaper wide receivers, then the running back plays fall into line as well. So I think actually this week looks pretty straightforward for me so far. I mean, obviously things can change as the week progresses and injury news comes up late in the season. Things just tend to get nuts as teams finally admit to themselves that they're totally out of it and not coming back. But I think in the meantime... I'm feeling pretty confident heading into week 14. At quarterback, Lamar Jackson has been easily the safest fantasy commodity that you can get this season on a week-to-week basis. His uh, standard deviation and coefficient of variation is just so much lower than really anybody else in the mid, the top tier. We talked about this about Mahomes at the beginning of this season in terms of last season. When you look at the graph of Safety on a week-to-week basis and uh, top overall scoring. Mahomes sat in a group all by himself last season. That's Lamar Jackson this year. Lamar Jackson is just every, I mean, every week in quotes. There's one week where he underperformed like an 11-point day. Other than that day against Pittsburgh, the guy's basically just been on lock to get you value at these prices. He's up to 9000 at this point. But when you look at maybe some uncertainty around the running back position, is that just a good enough case, even in a tough game against Buffalo, uh, to just make him the priority for cash games and say, we know what we're getting out of him at this point, and we'll figure out the decisions in the lower tier uh, sort of after him. Oh, I think it's it's plenty of reason to play Jackson this week. I think when you look at him compared to the payoff options at other positions, he's safer than they are on a points-per-dollar basis and just on an absolute basis in terms of raw points. And the thing about him is he's done this against some pretty good teams too. I think... Last week's matchup against San Francisco is about the worst case that you could expect for him. And what we've seen with Baltimore, when it's not working through the air, they'll just give it to him on the ground. He had 16 carries against San Francisco in a game they didn't totally like need need. He had 101 yards and a touchdown, right? So uh, he's just insane. He, against the Patriots, you know, this historic defense, he had 28.62 fantasy points. He's been good against in great matchups. He's been good in bad matchups. And the fact that he can beat teams in two different ways now means that he's going to be safe pretty much regardless. And that's and I think his presence alone here makes it pretty hard to talk me into some you know, other plays that are, are mostly just upside plays from my perspective. Um, I think quarterback is a place where you can also get sort of a better points per dollar multiplier also. Like, you know, we compare him to Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Jackson's scoring more points so far this season on a lower salary. And so I think that you're going to wind up prioritizing him pretty heavily here in cash games 
Yeah, Jackson is the highest uh, the highest fantasy fan duel points per game. McCaffrey is a little bit ahead of him on DraftKings just because of the PPR piece. Uh, it's still it's really splitting hairs at that point though. Um, and like I said, on a week to week basis, he's just so much safer. The, the issue you have with McCaffrey, obviously, I think this week is that the Panthers just fired their head coach, um, and I just don't know where how we evaluate a new coaching scheme for, for a team. I, I'm less mm. worried about it sort of from a DJ Moore perspective. I, but just give me, give me a, 10 seconds on McCaffrey here with the coaching change in terms of opportunity. I'll roll through quickly the other quarterback options, I think. But um, just give me get, Yeah, give the me basics quick, of McCaffrey is that take. it's going to be really hard for him to have more opportunity. He's been so far ahead of the field in terms of touches per game. Uh, last week against Washington, 27 plays drawn up for him. Uh, 31 touches against New Orleans the week before that. The Panthers are officially out of it now, so I think it's going to be tough for anyone to walk in and be like, I have a new idea, McCaffrey 40 touches a game. And if he doesn't, this is by far the highest price we've ever seen on a running back, for good reason. It's by far the best performance we've ever seen in the DFS era as well. But, you know, in the old days, running backs would, like you might see a Le'Veon Bell at 9,500 sort of price tag. I don't know if McCaffrey needs to go down in price that much for me to be interested, but I think it's it's worth waiting a week and seeing uh, what a coaching regime change will do to his opportunity here. Uh, the other quarterbacks I did write up, I did write up Jameis Winston. I don't mind the opportunity, mostly from a volume perspective. He did not get there last week in a very un-Winston-like game. Uh, no touchdowns, no inter- no interceptions. That's almost, uh, well, it's not odder, but like the fact he just throws so many damn picks that uh, when he doesn't throw one, you feel like you, you won. <laughs> you got away with something, but no touchdowns either, uh, and the yards weren't there in a way. The guy was like 300, 300 yards, multiple touchdowns, basically on lock, and you and you sort of forgave him the interceptions because the volume passing was there. Uh, not much has changed for this team. They are, uh, they have one of the higher implied totals of the slate. They're minus three at home against the Colts. Um, is that enough of a? Is there enough of a case here just on the savings on Jameis? Uh, he will scramble too, uh, or is like, I'm, I, I guess I'm just saying. I know that he's not safer than Lamar, but at some point, you know, cost does matter uh, for these guys because, like, you buy something, you know, you can buy something else with the savings. Is that enough on Winston? I have one more guy I want to throw out to. I just don't think so. I think, you know, between Winston and what are what the other cheap options are, the question I'm asking myself is not like just Winston versus Lamar in a vacuum. It's what can I do with that extra thirteen hundred dollars? And the, the options I'm seeing at these other positions right now aren't aren't worth taking on a significant more risk on a points per dollar basis. So I can be talked into it, I guess, as, as the week goes along and, you know, maybe some good plays emerge or maybe some new punts emerge uh, that free up the salary for McCaffrey or someone. But right now I just don't see the options elsewhere that I'm desperate to have that savings for. Like I think one of the things I wrote about in our ebook, which you can check out at dfsr.com slash ebook, get our basketball and our NFL ebook, is that you don't really want to punt away from your good place. And that's that's how playing Winston feels to me here. Like, Jackson is the payoff I'm waiting for. So why am I looking for a punt here just to take a mediocre payoff somewhere else? The other, the final guy that I wrote up, and it's mostly a cost thing, is Minshew. He came in, they benched Foles. Foles looked every piece of terrible last week to the point where they benched their $80 million guy in favor of Minshew, you know, had gone through fits and spurts of of being a good fantasy play. He's just so cheap at this point. He's fifty four hundred on DraftKings, a full two thousand less than Lamar on a site where that really matters. That two thousand actually, it, you are starting to have the conversation of that's buying you. You know, from the full PPR piece, you're buying you're buying significantly more safety at, in other spots. He's two thousand less. Oh, no, excuse me, twenty four hundred less on FanDuel at sixty six hundred. Will get out and run, has a full complement of weapons at this point. I mean, in, in the sense that everyone that they expected to be healthy is healthy now. DD's back, and, uh, you know, then they 
want to throw to Fournette 500 times a game. Is the saving is that now we're we're just talking about so much savings now that I'm wondering like on DraftKings too like if you went the difference of someone like I don't know Fournette this isn't perfect math but um I don't know like if just the, the especially specifically getting two thousand dollars more of a wide receiver that actually has mm-hmm. a pulse at times on DraftKings can be really worth it is it enough of a case to to seriously consider Minshew here I think you can seriously consider him just because in, there have been times in the past where. We've taken guys who are just total unknowns at effectively the minimum price and just said, listen, like you just get so much savings, especially on DraftKings. I think it's a little different too with the PPR. That just raises the floor of skill position players so much more uh, than it does on FanDuel as well. And so I think when you take all those factors together, Minshew can be in the conversation. I think I like him a lot more than Jameis, frankly, too, because you're getting, I feel like I'm getting a much bigger payoff for a guy who. I mean, he's not likely to be as good as Jameis, but he could be. You know, it's not right. not out of the question, especially if he gets out running. So, I think, yeah, I, I think it looks looks reasonable to me. I won't just start penciling him in and going from there. But on DraftKings, where it's often tougher to pay up a quarterback, I, I'm listening. All right, we're gonna get to running backs here in a second. Got to talk about the Vivid Seats app. You download the Vivid Seats app if you're interested in going to a sporting event or a concert. If you're more into the arts, maybe a concert or theater is more your jive. I have a feeling if you're listening to the DFS podcast, you're thinking more about sports than you are about you know seeing Hamilton or something like that. But Vivid Seats app, you download it, you use the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. It's going to automatically enroll you into the rewards program. It's going to give you up to $100 back on your first ticket purchase. So right out of the gate, you're getting a great deal. And when you use the app, you can see exactly where the seats are, are placed. You can see exactly what the view is going to be like, too. Really important if you're going just mm. to, you know, to see. <laughs> going to a live event. I, I, I'd like to have a sense of what I'm going to see once I plot my butt down in the seat. Uh, so, and it gives you also labels, good deals, bad deals, uh, in terms of just you know, that marketplace. So Vivid Seats app, use the promo code OVERTIME. Uh, if you're going to a concert, go into a theater, or more importantly, go into a sporting event. Use the Vivid Seats app, use the promo code, and you're good to go. All right, running backs. Um, I got a couple weird names I'm going to throw out to you at the end of this, but talk me through. You know what we always look at first is home favorite, good matchup, big spread. Dalvin Cook checks those boxes, but it's the injury piece that he suffered last week too a bridge too far in terms of like it's hard to imagine he just gets overwhelming target, overwhelming opportunity, knowing that he's a little banged up. I think so. I think with Cook, we've seen it where. When Minnesota was really playing for a lot, you could see north of 30 touches a game. But we've also seen them be pretty cautious with him as they go barreling towards, you know, in a, an inevitable playoff run here. I think they recognize that he's by far their best chance to do things offensively when it comes to the playoffs, you know, as weather gets tougher and everything else. So I'd be pretty surprised if they were aggressive with Cook's touches this week. And I think for that reason, you want to be, uh, you know, discretion is the better part of Valor. The one contingent plan I would say here is that or the contingent piece of information, is that it's not outside the realm of possibility that Minnesota is at least fighting for this last playoff spot with the Rams sitting at 7-5 and five and Minnesota at 8-4 and four now. So, it, you know, it was looking sort of like they were locked, but things change quickly in the NFL. So, you know, maybe you see it for one more week, but I think you're certainly welcoming a lot of risk into your life unless you get definitive word where they say, which they might, Listen, like we need this win. Coco is going to be out there. But I, I think my suspicion is that against a terrible, terrible Detroit team, that they're just going to try and, 
you know, win with him on sort of the back burner this week. And I hate to say this, but we've been down this road of like locked out and cooking the cash games against a bad team with a high spread. And it's just the Minnesota just figures out a way to not make it possible. So I, I, I get that I shouldn't use two games where I've started him as the definitive litmus test for whether or not it's a good play or not. And it just is in the back of my mind with this other piece. So well, yeah, uh, and it's been a fine play many, many, many times this season. Like, you know, oh, essentially yeah, the, yeah. the only weeks that you were disappointed were three of the last four weeks against Kansas City, Denver, and Seattle. Every other week he's been pretty much great or at least had opportunity uh, that you could get excited about. But, yeah, just know that this is a, this is exactly the type of game where you could see less than the full run of Cook. All right, walk me through a couple of the other running back plays here. Sure, I think Fournette is the main guy that a lot of people are going to plug into cash games this week. Um, you know, he was highly owned last week, around 30% in a week that had some really, really highly owned running back plays. And that was even against Tampa Bay, who everyone knows all too well right now is one of these funnel defenses that pushes teams into passing. And so the thing with Burnett, he's a full three down back, uh, 23 total targets in the last two weeks, 18 catches for 115 yards. That's just insane production for a guy who's also going to carry the ball between 15 and 25 times. And the last two weeks... Jacksonville has had the displeasure of going up against probably the two most notorious funnel defenses on the season in Tampa Bay and Tennessee. And so going up against the Chargers here, certainly a breath of fresh air with the Chargers being in the bottom half of the league in DVOA against the run. So I think Fournette, especially just with some of the other guys we're going to mention, the sort of sea of uncertainty around the running back position, I suspect he'll be the highest on running back on the slate. Yeah, I agree. I think so. The opportunity is just too good. The price hasn't. He's gotten dusted off on touchdowns a little bit. That's that's made it so that his price hasn't really climbed up requisite to where his opportunity is. He's not very efficient either. So that's he's got a couple couple double bottom line issues. But in terms of this, the overall targets plus the excuse me the, the carries plus the targets. The targets been huge over the last couple of weeks. And if you want a tiebreaker, the guy's just on the field for every offensive snap in a way that you just can't say it really about any other running back except for McCaffrey at this point. There's no other running back that operates like him, a true three-down back. Now, the, the other two guys that are popping up on in and around cash games right now for us, Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman, both played about 60 to 70% of their team's snaps last week. Is that, is that, like, is that like the next level down of what you look for in safety, right? Like there's going to be the Brian Hills of the world that are still standing behind these guys and like the Bilal mm -hmm. pals. Uh, but in terms of like a 60 to 70% of these snaps on their opportunity, understand they're not the best running backs in the world. They make them close enough for cash games here. I think so. And, you know, as always, we're comparing them to the other options on the table this week. Um, starting from the top, we talked about McCaffrey being at an all-time high price and, you know, potentially mixing things up. I think Derrick Henry's another fool's gold guy that some people could talk themselves into but just doing it on insane yards per carry and touchdowns is not really a recipe we've seen to sustain nine thousand dollar press pull nine thousand dollar plus prices in the past um you typically need to be catching balls out of the backfield uh, which he just doesn't really do and if one of those games comes along where you don't get a 60 yard touchdown run all of a sudden that price starts to look a little embarrassing um, Nick Chubb, I think, is a consideration guy going up against Cleveland. But after that, it really falls apart quickly. And I think with both Bell and Freeman, you get a nice confluence of factors. So in Freeman's case, uh, Brian Hill is just so terrible. I mean, the best game that he's had since he's sort of risen into prominence was around three yards per carry in that 20-carry game where he got 61 yards. Other than that, it's been like two yards a carry, one and a half yards a carry. He's just awful. Uh, Carolina the bottom of the league in terms of DVOA against the run this season. And then Bell obviously has this Miami matchup where people have been 
more than happy to plug basically anyone into and go. And the fact that Bell had north of 20% ownership last week uh, in a worse matchup, and now coming in here, going up against Miami, I think that you'll see pretty significant ownership on him here as well. So uh, yeah, those I think are, I think probably Freeman ahead of Bell, but I can see Bell outstripping him too in terms of ownership. So uh, both guys though, solid cash game inclusions, even though they do have a couple of question marks. Yeah, the Henry thing is so weird. Our system's just never going to default there because the targets aren't good enough. And he's just a guy that we've missed out on on times when he's had big games because when he touches the ball 25 times out of the, you know, if he gets 25 carries, uh, then we've seen him have just, you know, pretty huge upside. It's just, it's just from an overall opportunities piece with the PPR, it's just going to be so hard for us to be to go to the very top end of the carries, which for us, at least for our system, is going to where he is where he's going to need to be to start falling into cash games. And he's the one guy that makes me kind of look and say, this might be the guy that we go to the top end on, right? Like he's good. Yeah, you think so? Because I, I think with Henry, it's kind of funny. Like you can look at earlier games this season. Like he's he's really benefited in terms of perception from this clustering effect of a lot of his games, great games being recently. But just compare Henry to last season, okay? Last season, Derrick Henry had 4.9 yards per carry. This season, he has 4.9 yards per carry. Uh, The major things that have changed, he's fumbled a lot more this season than he did last year, and he's been scoring a lot more touchdowns. Now, touchdowns, we know that they're not, like a lot of people want to paint touchdowns out as total luck. They're not total luck. Like your team will essentially choose to give you touchdowns or not. Last year, he had 12 touchdowns in 16 games. Uh, this year he has 12 touchdowns in or 13 touchdowns in 12 games. That being said, you just can't rely on him to like just because he's clustered up his 20 plus point performances. Don't forget that he had seven fantasy points against Tampa Bay. Uh, he had four fantasy points against Denver. He had 20 carries against Buffalo and only turned that into 14 fantasy points in spite of scoring a touchdown. Same thing against Atlanta the prior week, 28 touches for 11 fantasy points. So when you only get carries. It's just really hard to be the best, and I think that's where I'm at on Henry. I, I, I'm. This is a guy like we talked about being comfortable being off chalk. If he's 75% on this week, I won't be scared at all. I will just be pleased that my opponents didn't have that salary to spend up on elsewhere. Interesting, yeah, definitive take. I, I, I don't mind it, and I guess maybe I'm probably worrying myself around the clustering piece. Two other guys, just real quick, that I think people are going to talk themselves into in cash games. One is James White He's coming off. He was brutal for a long stretch here. And then just all of a sudden pops off for 25 touches last week, 14 carries and 11 yards. Sonny Michelle, they were playing catch up against Houston. Sonny Michelle played 15 total snaps um, and White played all the rest of them. So he played like 70% of the snaps and was just a huge target guy. Um, I think I know it's only one game, but we have seen this from him in the past. And he's so he's very cheap on DraftKings for PPR. He's 5,500. So I think you're going to see. This is a guy I think we'll end up discussing about what we actually think his real opportunity is in this game against KC, uh, which I think will be an interesting discussion. And then the other guy is Patrick Laird. Laird is not a good running back. He had 10 carries for five yards last week, but he also had five targets. He's 4,100 on DraftKings, and they just put Kalen Balaj on injured reserve. Patrick Laird's, by the way, a guy like the NFL Twitterverse has been long sort of like made a joke slash we weren't joking slash we're going to play him. All these guys have talked about him for weeks, and uh, he might just actually get his opportunity here. So we'll talk about these guys a little bit more in the game-by-game breakdown, but I wanted to throw their names out there. Wide receiver, we've already talked about DJ Moore. DJ Moore, since Kyle Allen took over, is third in the league in targets. Um, he leads the league in red zone targets. I, I don't know what the guy has to do for people to want to play him. We talked about the beginning of the podcast. I just, uh, it's just like oh, it just continue. I, if you hear me stumbling, because I just don't understand what people don't see that we're seeing. I just, I, you know what I mean? Like I just don't. 
Like, what stats do you need to say <laughs> that he's a good play every single week? It's been we caught on to this th- six weeks ago. <laughs> like, I just I just don't know. And the ownership's only gone down on him each week, and he, the targets only maintain the same. Like, I just don't. Over the last like, he's got like eleven red zone targets over the last five weeks. It's easily the most in the league. Like, I, what are we? Do we just spend too much time on this? Because if we talk about it every week, I just I'm I'm perpetually just confused about the DJ Moore thing here. Yeah, I think I mean we talked about it at the top of the episode too. Yeah, so okay. I, I, we, we can just move on for labor yeah. it. But he's on lock for double digit targets a game. Uh, those red zone targets are finally converting into touchdowns as well, which they have in the last two weeks. And I think actually you're I mean we kind of saw this against New Orleans, but I think more of those you know perfect world games are down the road for him too, where you could see him go north of 100 yards with a touchdown with some regularity here going forward. So given the uncertainty we've seen at the very top end of wide receiver this season, you know, more is probably <laughs> like, he's probably worth still 10% more uh, than his current price tag. So yeah, I think we're, you're sort of doing it by playing him this week and plays like him are the exact reason why I'm happy to pay up a quarterback. Yeah. Uh, it looked great because he's still just not, all that expensive. The other guy, since week four, Julian Edelman is behind only Mike Thomas in terms of overall targets on the season. Uh, this guy is another one in terms of a PPR format. He's 7,100 on DraftKings. I, I find that there's just so much safety in this PPR. I think the conversion rate for him has not been exactly what we've seen from him in the past, but there just seems like so much safety around Edelman here, especially as I know James White had a million targets last week, as, as Brady continues to struggle to find any other options after him. Yeah, I, I love Edelman. I mean, I think. The big issue with Edelman is that he's been getting double covered a little bit more, which you don't totally see out of slot receivers too often. But given the total lack of skill position strength for the Patriots right now, where it's basically the White and Edelman show, you probably will see more of that going forward. I guess the big question is, does it totally matter? I mean, he'd still get double-digit targets a game. And even if the conversion rate isn't totally there, we've seen guys like Mike Evans pull this off in the past too, or T.Y. Hilton, where if you get 12 targets and turn them into seven catches— that's just as good as turning nine targets into seven catches, right? So I think what he makes up, what he's lacking in efficiency right now, he'll make up for in raw target share and especially down by the red zone. So you're paying a little bit more for him than you have so far this season. Same with more, but I think the increased expense is probably worth it. Uh, and finally, Tyler Boyd in weeks that Andy Dalton has started, that was weeks one through eight. And then last week, he is the third most targeted wide receiver in football. So I'm just, I'm mostly just bringing out these I get that it's like cherry picking stats, but not really because you're looking at whatever the real opportunity for these guys is. And Tyler Boyd, he saw more ownership last week, uh, rightfully so. Would AJ Green continuing to kind of come back sort of cut into Boyd's projection at all for you? Or have we just seen enough weeks of this at this point and enough weeks of AJ Green just not playing and not being 100% healthy? Uh, Or does Boyd still rank up there with you knowing that Green is sort of like kind of hovering around the, the atmosphere now? Yeah, Green's presence would definitely change things for me. I think, you know, he's optimistic or he's going to try or whatever it is so far here on Wednesday leading up to week 14. If we got a more positive bill of health for him, I would be pretty concerned. Uh, We did see Green, especially with Dalton earlier this season, you know, be garnering 10 plus targets a game in those situations. Green's pretty cheap in his own right. And I could see people going there in cash games if he was really fully healthy, like practicing in full, no question marks at all. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it. I don't think I would feel comfortable running Boyd out there if I expected Green to play even two-thirds of the snaps. Interesting, yeah. That will that, that one hopefully will have more clarity around it as we get closer. I do yeah. think you'll also see uh-huh. Christian Kirk get some ownership here on FanDuel. He was pretty highly owned. We avoided his chalk presence last week because of the Jalen Ramsey thing, not walking into the exact same situation here, though Pittsburgh's 
Pittsburgh's defense is really good. Finish us off with tight ends, a perpetually uh, just difficult uh, position to handle. Though last week on DraftKings, we were happy rolling double tight end in cash games with Doyle and Higby. I was totally comfortable with it when I saw the lineups and the results. Um, I was process-based and results-based around that one because they absolutely destroyed. Similar situation this week with tight end, or have we seen like some price climb? I mean, what are what's even the player pool? Is it just Doyle or bust? What are your thoughts here on tight end? Yeah, I don't know if it's Doyle or bust just yet because there are some cheap guys, especially on DraftKings, that could wind up lurking around cash games. But listen, tight end has been so terrible all season long, and getting Doyle at a $6,300 price tag, which is cheaper than some of the other reasonable tight end options from my perspective, just seems pretty darn solid, right? I mean, we know that this indie offense has always prioritized the tight end, basically in the 10 years or so that we've been following this closely. Uh, we know that when Ebron's out, Doyle is the heir apparent to all those targets. And with T.Y. Hilton out too, they just don't really have a lot of options. And I think, you know, going up against this Tampa Bay defense, which has restricted the run so dramatically, and the fact that Indy has had such a terrible time running the ball since Marlon Mack went down, I think all those factors combined lead me to believe that you'll see Brissett throwing quite a bit here. Uh, Indy would really like to win this game. I think they'll prioritize uh, Doyle's targets. And I think that that's something that you really can't say for a lot of tight ends right now outside of like, you know, maybe Travis Kelsey, but he's got New England. Um, we saw even with Kittle last week the his targets, even though he looked great in the prior week, he can just get two targets for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I can't blame San Francisco. They're doing something right this season. But I'm sorry, Kittle had four targets last week, two catches. Um, but the fact that they've just kind of gotten away from Kittle after his literally historic season last year uh, leaves you a little bit flummoxed. So I think it's Doyle right now and a lot of guys sniffing around the edges. All right, we'll roll through some of the other tight end options and defensive options tomorrow on the Game by Game podcast. Buddy, take two, even better than take one. Glad we did it again. Glad we got the chance to roll this one back. DFS. Not me, buddy, but I'm glad you feel that way. I'm just trying to stay positive. DailyFantasySportsRankings.com <laughs> is the site. But like I said in the first take, we own two URLs, and if you want to type in last letters, it's just DFSR.com. DFSR.com slash deals gets you started on our premium projections. That's going to give you optimal lineups for FanDuel, DraftKings, uh, NHL, NBA, but most importantly, NFL, all cover under one subscription package. So go check that out. No better deal in the industry. Seven-day free trial, and then just $29.95 a month. We'll be back again tomorrow, rolling through the Week 14 game-by-game game breakdown for the main slate. You can also subscribe to our basketball podcast as well, which we try to podcast on the same day as we do football. Buddy, talk to you tomorrow when we roll game-by-game. Game. Goodbye.